0: You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome, my name is Chris, and today I'm going to go through a study of Revelation chapter 11, specifically the two witnesses. So what I'm going to do first is read through this uh, section briefly, and then we'll get into talking about what the issues were and... How to solve them or at least try to solve them. So, Revelation 11, starting in verse 1, kind of a long passage here, says, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut up the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and the tribes and the languages and the nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, because these two prophets had been who "...had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three 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 and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who saw them. Then they heard a, uh, a loud voice from heaven saying to them, "'Come up here,' and they went into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. At that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven." The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. And then in the next verse, we have the the seventh trumpet uh, being released. So just uh, in context here, let's go a little bit over that. So earlier in the book of Revelation, specifically starting, um, let's start at verse, uh, in chapter 8. Really, the seven trumpets, which come after the seven bulls, have begun to be blown. Each one is associated with a, a judgment. Now, that's fairly rapid stuff. The first angel blew his trumpet. The second angel blew his trumpet. The third, the fourth. Um, and really, it's pretty it's pretty consistent like that up until the sixth angel blowing his trumpet. And then you have kind of a long interlude here uh, that really extends several verses, including the Two Witnesses verse. And then finally, they pick up back up and the seventh trumpet is blown here. So big interlude here. And that's actually a consistent part uh, theme in the book of Revelation. There are several interludes in which the, the narrative of the seals being opened or the trumpets being blown or the bowls of wrath being poured out, they stop usually at the sixth. Of one of those in in a series, and then there's a big interlude in which, during that interlude, typically there is what uh, biographical type chapters, where, for example, the Antichrists and the False Prophet are described in one of these interludes. But that's for another story. And in any case, so the the question was, when do these two witnesses? Prophesy because we have a, a very definite marker here 1260 days or 42 months. Now, that is uh, in a reference to the seven year period, Daniel's 70th week, uh, which is bisected into two different groups, uh, both of which are 1260 days. Right? So, the question is which is which? Do they prophesy here? Do they prophesy starting when the covenant is made? and then does do they are they killed at the midpoint and then are resurrected 3 days after that or do they start prophesying here at the midpoint and then are killed here at the end of the 7 year period and are resurrected 3 days after that and i have kind of gone through a different uh, a few different viewpoints on that the first viewpoint i had was well i don't know what the first one i had probably that it was either maybe even before the 70th week. I know some people uh have that view. But uh I think that I kind of started off believing that they were at the end, but various things kind of happened and I started thinking, well, it makes more sense logically if they uh were actually at the first three and a half years. And part of my thinking for that, and again, this was not really any kind of scriptural clue or anything, so much as uh, uh, things like this, where it says that their dead bodies are in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days, and pe- the dwellers of the on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment, torment to those who dwell on the earth. So really, I think more than anything, that kind of verse led me to believe this has to be at the first half, because if you put these, these earth dwellers making merry and stuff right here, then you've got significant things that have been happening on the earth, right? I mean, the, the, the water is all blood. There's been massive, massive upheaval, upheavals to the point where it's just serious business, right? The, the idea that anybody could be making merry at that moment and giving gifts, that there are even people to give gifts is almost a, uh, a hard thing to, to buy. Now, on the other end, Bob had brought up this last line, which says, the second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is to come. Now, that takes that, that line takes place after John has uh, uh, talked about the two witnesses. Now, in, in the just the narrative, this takes place between the sixth and seventh trumpets. And this last line seems to pick back up into the seventh trumpet. The second woe is passed. It gets done talking about the two witnesses. Then it says the second woe is passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. We'll talk about what the woes are in a minute. But for now, they're basically the last three trumpets. Um, And there's nothing too significant about that, but as far as that I can tell right now. But the point is, in the narrative, this is sandwiched between the sixth and seventh trumpet. Uh, So Bob was saying, well, if this is tied to that narrative with a hard tie-in, then you have the two witnesses prophesying between the 6th and 7th trumpet. And therefore, it is a must that these this this is a prophecy or, or that they are prophesying in the latter half of the 70th week of Daniel. So, first of all, I think what, one of the things I should say right at the outset here is that a lot of people have different views about this. This is by no means a settled issue, even among... Uh, prophecy experts, regardless of your uh, take on, you know, the timing of the rapture or what have you. For example, uh, here, Bill Salas has written an article in 2019 about the timing of the two witnesses. Bill Salas is a pre tribulationalist and he mentions a few things here. He says um, he ends up taking the first half view in this article, that is to say, the first three and a half years. Is when the uh, is when he believes that the two witnesses are prophesying, and we'll go through some of this. But he notes that people like uh, Doctor Rhodes, was uh, it Ron Rhodes, uh, John Wallverd, no, actually, Rhodes, and I think uh, who does he say, Tim LaHaye, take his position that the two witnesses are in the first uh, half of the seven-year period. But he also notes here that people like. Um, uh, Mark Hitchcock and uh, John Walvoord take the opposite position that is that the two witnesses prophesy in the second half of the position. And of course, John Walvoord and, and Mark Hitchcock are prominent pre-tribulationalists. He's a pre-tribulationalist. So all this to say that there's clearly disagreement within even within that camp. I would say most of the pre rathers of which I am a part of uh, typically take, and I didn't really remember this until I did the research for this, typically take the latter half view that I, I saw a very early Perusia article in which Charles Cooper just sort of matter of factly said that the two witnesses were, uh, in the last half. I was just reviewing some of what Albert, uh, Charpy, who made some really great, uh, graphs, I think I have them, I'm going to be mentioning them later on, uh, and was really instrumental in helping me early on uh, understand the pre-wrath position. This is the graphs. Um, He also believes that the two witnesses prophesy in this last half, the last three and a half years. The other thing I will mention is, uh, okay, just in terms of viewpoints, I... This is the only journal article that I can find about the timing of the two witnesses. It's called The Chronology of the Two Witnesses in Revelation 11. It's by John McLean. It's from Bibliotheca Sacra in 2011. And he takes the position here that they are prophesying in the last half of the 70th week. I read an article from John MacArthur who took neither position. He said that the two witnesses were neither prophesying in the beginning or the middle, but were at some unknown three-and-a-half-year period uh, before the 70th week even started, which is a very difficult position to defend, in my opinion. But uh, the reason they do that is really because of a lot of challenges that come up in the way that pre-tribulationalists have defined when the Day of the Lord starts, and that causes some other issues. So, um, But all that to say, there is a good deal of uh, differing of opinions on this point. The first thing, I'll go back to that podcast, what we were saying is that if the second woe is past, well, the third woe is to come, if this is referen- a reference to these two witnesses being a part of the chronology, that the sixth trumpet happens, then the two witnesses happen, then the seventh trumpet happens, then you you're, you necessitate put these putting the, them at the last half. But I would say, while I am going to say In this uh, podcast, that they probably are in the last half. I don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think that this is a part of the chronology. And I think it's like many other places in the book of Revelation where it's an interlude with an entire biography that's not necessarily tied to that. And I would point to two. Things to defend that the first is the time references themselves about the two witnesses. John says uh, they, you know, talking about the trampling of the holy city for forty-two months. He says, "Here's my two witnesses. They will prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days." Right there, you have an idea that this is a, a biography about two guys, and it expands on their ministry and talks about the entire three and a half years of their ministry. This is giving us all the details, what they can do, what will happen, you know, everything from the beginning to the end, uh, an entire three and a half year picture. And that's the same kind of thing that happens when the biography of the Antichrist and the false prophet or the biography of the woman and the dragon or other biography chapters in the book of Revelation that are generally speaking tied in some way to this last three and a half year period. So it's very similar to that. And there's nothing in the narrative here that connects this to it. In fact, it flows quite naturally to be just a separate vision. So again, uh, let me show you what I mean. So he's talking about the the, the trumpets happening. First, uh, third trumpet, fourth trumpet, fifth trumpet, uh, sixth trumpet. And then it kind of stops and it has this angel in the little scroll section where John sees a mighty angel coming down uh, and basically... It kind of concludes that whole scene with this scene it says then the voice that i had heard from the from heaven spoke to me again saying go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land so i went uh to the angel and told him to give me a little the little scroll and he said to me take it and eat it and i it will make your stomach bitter but in, in but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey then i took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter, and I was told you must again prophesy about many people's nations, languages, and kings. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff and told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar who worship there. So so John, in the midst of seeing this vision of the the six trumpets are being opened, very chronological, then it then I seized another mighty angel, and this whole scene plays out where he's given a scroll, once he eats the scroll, then he's given a measuring, he, and told the, to prophesy, then he goes into the scene of given a measuring rod and going and measuring a temple, and then describing the two witnesses and the, the people trampling the temple for 42 months. So that, in my mind, is not, is almost necessarily disconnected from the chronology of the sixth and seventh trumpet. So all that to say, I'm going to to argue for these being in the latter half of the 70th week, but not because of a chronology related issue. I see no reason to to make that argument and um, to, to, to necessitate that on the basis of this having to occur between the sixth and seventh trumpets. Just really quick on what the woes are. So the woes are the last three trumpets. Uh, we get that idea back here in Revelation chapter 8, verse 13, uh, after the fourth trumpet is blown, it says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth and the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So there's something particularly egregious about these next three trumpets, right? And they are pretty bad. The fifth angel blows his trumpet. Uh, shaft of the bottomless pit opens up. These uh, scorpion-like uh, 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 beings from the pit of hell torment people for five months. And uh, the other two aren't any better. So, okay. So what I want to do is this: go back to Bill Salas's article and to uh, um, this paper, and I want to talk about. What, what they do basically in, in, this, in this article and in this paper are go through the objections to their views. And they both, as I said, hold a different view. So it, it's a way for us to really uh, understand the different kinds of arguments. So Bill Salas, uh, he says that the first thing that he says, again, that he believes the two witnesses are in the first half, And this is his reasoning. The first is the timing of the two witnesses. Oh, excuse me. His first uh, argument is the counting of the worshipers in the temple. So this comes from the first verse in Revelation 11, which says, Then I was given a measuring stick and told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar, and count the number of the worshipers. But do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months. So he goes on to say counting the number of worshipers in the temple won't happen until the second half uh, of the trib period because the temple worship will have ceased by then then as a result of the antichrist abominating the temple and stopping the sacrifices and offerings as per daniel nine twenty seven. okay so what he's trying to say here if revelation 11 says that the two w- that you know he's got to go measure the temple and he notes worshipers in the temple and this is all associated with the two witnesses, then if there's worshipers at the temple, Bill Salas says, then it must be at the beginning of the three and a half years because the Antichrist sits in the temple as God and ends this, the daily sacrifice at that midpoint. So in Bill Salas' view, there are no uh, sacrifices or anything else going on uh, after the midpoint. And I feel like this this one thing is a big game changer to understanding this, and I feel like it's all part of maybe a little bit of this Hal Lindsey hangover that I talk about. This is a big aspect of that. I think a lot of people, pre-tribbers, post-tribbers, pre-rathers, pretty much everybody, view this event of the Abomination of Desolation as the Antichrist. You know, he was he was pretending to be one thing or another before then, but then at the midpoint, he sort of takes the masks off and says, "I'm evil. Let's stop all these temples." And I guess you know temple sacrifices and then just throws away the temple or whatever and say, okay, we're done with that. Let's go be the Antichrist other places. I think that what he does is he stops the daily sacrifice. That's what it is, the, the sp- specific daily sacrifice. But, but the worship of the temple clearly doesn't stop there. All this says is he counts worshipers in the temple. The worship in my point of view starts at the midpoint it's when he begins to declare worship now we know for example that the false prophet uh in uh, revelation 13 let me just go there he demands that people worship he causes both small and great rich and poor uh let's see the mark it was a. Uh, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet live. It was allowed to them to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to rise and be slain. So sometime we know that his first declaration of deity is after the midpoint. I am God, right? That's what he says after the midpoint. And then at some point, the false prophet's going to really codify that whole worship the Antichrist thing into a big system. You got to get a mark. He's going to make an image of the beast. You got to worship that image of the beast. That whole scheme of worshiping Satan, essentially, is pictured in Revelation 17 and 18 with Mystery Babylon. So that's what Mystery Babylon is. It's a city. It's the city that that It's the Antichrist's capital city, but it is the city being pictured that is getting the worship of the world to come to the temple and worship the Antichrist in the temple. Actually, specifically worshiping the image of the beast, I believe, is what they're going to actually put there, not him himself. I'm assuming he's got better things to do, but the image of the beast and really the dragon behind that image is what's going to receive the worship of the world. And that whole system is after the midpoint. So, and Mystery Babylon is a picture of a massive deal happening in that last three and a half years. And we know it's the last three and a half years because the worship of the Antichrist can't even start until the midpoint, right? There's no worship of the Antichrist pre midpoint. So, So the worship of the Antichrist is post-midpoint, and Mystery Babylon is a picture of merchants becoming wealthy on specific items that I've, in a book that I wrote about Mystery Babylon, go through all those specific items and show that they are absolutely crucial and the exact words in some cases of other places in the new testament that are things that are needed specifically for temple sacrifices so the merchants are getting rich because the whole world is forced to go to jerusalem to worship the antichrist in the temple with things like gold silver precious stones the very words that daniel says the antichrist will require of his worship of his god the so-called god of fortresses which is uh, reference to Satan, I believe. All that to say that Bill Salas' argument here, that the counting of the worshipers in the temple is an argument against the two witnesses prophesying at the second half, because in Bill Salas' and the Howland's Hangover view, all worship and all things having to do with the temple are just stopped at the midpoint, and it's just disregarded never to be thought of again. When in fact, it the temple becomes now the center Piece of the entire world at the midpoint in uh, in my view, and I would say that's a little little nichey, but I also believe that it makes sense in your heart to people. I think that when you hear when people hear that, it just kind of clicks because it, especially if they know Bible prophecy, because all they they've got verses firing off in their head, and they're like, yeah, well, okay, well that makes sense in that sense. But at least that's what I hope. I suppose anyway. Next one is just sort of a pre-trib problem he's got here. He says that they can't be, the two witnesses can't be prophesying at the, at, at the latter half of the 70th week because Malachi uh, comes before the day of the Lord. So I'm assuming that he is assuming that one of the two witnesses is Elijah, or, or excuse me, that Elijah will come before the day of the Lord, prophesied by Malachi in Malachi 4. So, and that one of the two witnesses is Elijah. And I believe that too, or at least I strongly suspect that one of the two witnesses will be Elijah. And pretty much in, in my pre-wrath view, uh, which I'll pull up a little pre-wrath chart here. It doesn't really matter if the two witnesses begin here at the beginning prophesying or at the midpoint prophesying, because in either case, wherever they begin, it will be before the day of the Lord, in my view. and But for people like MacArthur, people like uh, uh, Bill Salus, they have a much more difficult time with this because of the pre-trib view that the entire 70th week of Daniel is the day of the Lord. If you haven't yet, please check out uh, the film that I just got done uh, making. Took about a year and a half to make. It's called Seven Pre-Trib Problems in the Pre-Wrath Rapture. We interviewed scholars. We interviewed a lot of people to show that that is an untenable view. And pre-tribbers know it. In the last decade or so, they've been trying to find ways to fix the contradictions that result of it uh, because of it. Um, but in any case, that is uh, a why Bill Salas says that Malachi, Malachi's prophecy about Elijah coming before the day of the Lord doesn't work. But that's just a pre-trib problem. It's not an, a problem for basically anybody but pre-tribbers. The seven bull judgments happen after the... Well, um, it could be a problem for mid-tribbers, I guess. The the seven bull judgments, this is another argument he has, the seven bull judgments happen after the two witnesses ascend to heaven. This is a little more convoluted, but I think the point that he's trying to make here, or at least one of the main points, is a good one. And this is one that I originally had problems with, but then the more I thought about it, the more I actually think it makes more sense. And it is the idea, and he lists several terrible things that are happening here uh, after the bold with the bold judgments. For example, sores will cover people who took the mark of the beast in Revelation 16, 2. The seas and waters will be turned into blood. There's going to be no fresh water left on the earth. Multitudes will be scorched from intense heat. Just people just being completely uh, uh, worn out by the heat. Great uh, darkness, intensifying painful stress. Great earthquakes, uh, the greatest earthquake in world history. These kinds of massive uh, upheavals, right? So this kind of connects, in my mind, to the original problem of how can people be like making merry and sending gifts to one another, um, like it says, you know, when the, when the two witnesses are, are, are dying? Because if you think about that, what that means is that the two witnesses, if in the latter half view, they started prophesying here, they prophesy for 1,260 days to the end of the 70th week, they die, and then there's three and a half days after the end of the seven year period in which they lay dead before resurrected, in which people are making merry, sending gifts, whatever. People that know, and this isn't a pre-trib, pre-wrath thing, this is just one of the things that's kind of a very complicated part of Bible prophecy that few people uh, even consider looking into. But Daniel and other places in, in, in Scripture let us know that there's actually a 75-day period between the end of the seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel, and the beginning of the millennium. And that 75-day period is broken up into two sections, one that is 30 days long uh, and one that is 45 days long. And you can get this from Daniel. He talks about the 1,260, 1,290, 1335 days. One of the great uh, things I got from Albert Sharpie uh, was this... uh, huge study he did on the items that were happening during those 30 uh, day period and the 45 day period and he had it just amazingly plotted out with all these obscure Old Testament references it's actually quite interesting but again this isn't just a pre-rath thing this is a thing that anybody can do um, and it's a fa- fascinating thing but let's just think about it logically first so let's go back to uh, our little time timeline here, just to show you that there is not only a possibility of things happening, but these exact things happening in the time after the seven-year period. And I hope that it gives you a little bit more focus into what the world looks like at the end of that period. Because if you're like me, I just had this idea that, hey, look, the bold judgments have been poured out by the end of the 70th week. Who is going to be standing or doing anything after that? Well, for one thing, uh, there are still enough what they call earth dwellers in that passage. It's sort of a technical term for the people that worship the beast and got the mark and resist repentance, uh, all the way up until the, the time of judgment and Armageddon and ultimately the Great White Throne judgment. But the, they still the, the Armageddon actually happens after the first thirty-day period. So Armageddon, you know, as a shorthand, I sometimes say Armageddon happens at the end of the seventieth week, and that's technically you know it's just a shorthand. But really, it, it occurs after the 30-day period, but before the 45-day period. And again, this is something that you know you read in commentaries from preachers and everybody else that has done this kind of study in Daniel. Armageddon takes place there. So, so what happens in that 30-day period? Well, a lot of people understand that the bowls are taking place. Most of the bowls take place in a very short amount of time in that 30-day period. But nevertheless, consider that Armageddon, Satan is able to gather... I can't remember the exact phrase. It's something like number uh, as the sand of the sea, right? To go to war against the, the returning victorious, glorified Christ at Armageddon. So if you're able to gather that many people to go to war against Jesus at Armageddon 30 days after the seven year period, you've certainly got enough people three days after the seven year period to laugh at and rejoice at the uh, uh, two witnesses' death, and to give gifts. There's still there's still a lot of people, earth dwellers, that are there to go to war. And to that end, I would say there's also a lot of people that didn't get the mark. That may not be specifically Christians at this point, but never got the mark uh, uh, are still somehow alive, and we know that because of the bema seat, or excuse me, the uh, 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 sheep and goat judgment. And that people enter the millennium and the only way you can explain those alive people that didn't die during the 70th week that entered the millennium is that they weren't saved. Uh, but I think as and I will not go into whole, the whole thing about the sheep and goat judgment right now, but basically there still are both good and bad people at the end of Armageddon. And all we really need is for there to be a lot of bad people enough to uh, to to mock and to give gifts and to make merry that the two witnesses are dead or or are for three uh, three and a half days anyway. So that seems to be a non-starter as far as an argument against it. The last little bit of this article kind of get into what I think are some pretty bad arguments. So, for example, he says that the two witnesses would be disobedient to God if they prophesied in Jerusalem at the end of the, uh, or after the abomination of desolation, because in Matthew 24, 15 through 16, Jesus tells his followers to flee when they see the abomination of desolation. And he says, well, if the two witnesses are his followers then they are in Jerusalem after the abomination of desolation, then they didn't flee. And therefore they would be disobedient and they wouldn't be disobedient. But that's, that's a really terrible argument for a lot of reasons. First of all, it specifically says in revelation 11 that they can't be killed for that time. People try to kill them, but judgment comes upon those that try to kill them. They're supernaturally protected from killing until the end of that three and a half years when they are in fact killed. Um, And then you have the idea that the reason that Jesus told people to flee was not some overarching uh, flee because I just arbitrarily think you should flee Jerusalem at this point, but it was for protection. Don't go back and get your coat. Don't go, if you're pregnant or nursing, woe to you, because you need to get out of there because this persecution, unlike any other that's ever been since the time there was a nation until this time is about to happen. So leave, get out, save yourself. If you don't need to save yourself because you're supernaturally protected, you run into the fire, not away from the fire. So they're not disobedience. And another thing, disobedient. And another thing he says is religious tolerance. He says that if the uh, if the Antichrist is entering the temple of God when he performs the abomination of desolation, and then you got two witnesses prophesying after that, then the Antichrist is tolerant of their religion. Again, it's it. I don't even know what to make make of that. I mean, clearly, again, they are supernaturally protected from his hand and everybody else's hand until the three and a half years are completed. So if you wanted to, there's no tolerance of the Antichrist in it. They can't be killed by the Antichrist. They're tormenting the world. Don't you think at any, whether it's the first or second three and a half years, the Antichrist would want to kill these guys, but can't do it. One of the things that kind of I meant to bring up was the very miracles they did. Salas earlier said that they would, uh, you know, how are they going to be prophesying when the waters are going to be turned into blood? And that's interesting because that's a characteristic. It's one of the powers that they have. It says they have the power over the waters to turn them into uh, blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. So if they are in the second half, this would make, some sense in that they take part or of in the judgments as a part of the day of the lord as well it would mean that they really are start prophesying before the day of the lord but then continue their prophecies uh well into the day of the lord too and then perhaps the judgments that they torment the earth dwellers with remember the earth dwellers are mad because they tormented them uh, and that could be a part of that with specific things like turning water into blood, which is, as I mentioned, a part of the great uh, the bold judgments. So uh, Salus kind of fizzles out after those arguments. There's a few other things, but for the most part, that's his arguments, and and can be pretty much chalked up in my mind to either just because he's a pre-tribber, there's some issues with the timing of the day of the Lord that that are uh, incompatible with that. And to to in Salus's defense, he has done a lot of odd things to try... He has recognized a lot of the problems in pre-tribulationalism and has done a lot of things that other pre haven't done to try to accommodate that. Uh, for example, he recognizes that the fifth seal martyrs in, uh, in Revelation 6 that they can't, that the day of the Lord can't have started by then because they're Christians and that would mean that they were being in the day of the Lord so, and which is a big problem for pretribbers. And so he's the only one that I know of that says, okay, let's just move the seals outside of the 70th week of Daniel, which is a really dumb thing to do, but at least he's doing it for a good reason that he recognizes that there's a major problem with pretribbers declaring that the entire 70th week is the uh, day of the Lord, uh, God's wrath. So, I uh, We've covered a lot of the things in this paper. I do recommend it. You do have to pay for it. Uh, Galaxy Software, uh, the Chronology of the Two Witnesses in Revelation 11 by John McLean from Bibli- Bibliotheca Sacra. I tried to find a free version online. It's just not there. But uh, it's good sort of call and response. He basically is giving arguments against it and his responses to that. Some of them are pretty good. One of the things I do want to, to mention specifically is this one, the repentant attitude of the people. So again, he's sort of given the counter argument. Again, he believes that the two witnesses are at the end of the 70th week and uh, then he's going to to refute it. So he says when 7,000... Oh, you know what? I forgot to say a pretty important part of this as well, but I guess I'll finish this up first. When the 7 thousand people in jerusalem will die from an earthquake the survivors will be terrified and give glory to god hodges argues that this does not harmonize with the unrepentant and hostile attitude that will prevail at the second coming of christ although most people will not repent under god's judgment a remnant will repent and accept messiah before his second coming these people will help to populate the millennial kingdom they will be saved and give glory to god so that's basically the point is that and that is a pretty interesting sort of phrase that the earthquake that happens at the very end, when the two witnesses are resurrected from the dead, an earthquake happens. Seven thousand people die. Um, he says that the repentance of the people that saw the people die or the earthquake is inconsistent with uh, the detractor said it would be inconsistent with the second half uh, prophesying of the, of the two witnesses, but. In my mind, it would be inconsistent with the first half as well, depending on your position of when the Day of the Lord starts. But again, going back to this little timeline of the 30 days and 45-day period... It's not. You have this. You have a lot of consolidation happening. And again, I really can't recommend enough this Albert Sharpie study. Uh, his website is uh, prerathministries.com He has a book called The Return, in which he d- details a lot of this stuff. But basically, the first thirty-day period is is basically judgment. The the forty-five-day period is kind of preparation for the millennium, consolidation and different things happening uh But all that to say, there is repentance. There is people going into the millennium, and all that getting prepared, and a lot of odd things happening, restoration, and 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 all kinds of things during that thirty days. So I don't see any problem with there being glory being given to God by certain groups. These groups that will be going into the millennium or whatever there, especially at the timeline, because in that timeline you're three and a half days into the thirty day period when all that would essentially be starting to be consolidated with the repentance of the remnant and uh, ultimately the preparation of the 45-day period in the millennium. But I forgot, sort of, I've done this, uh, I had some technical problems, so I've already done this uh, study once, and I led off last time with the main argument, I would say, for this person's position, and really it probably becomes my main argument for the... Uh, two witnesses being in the first half as well, he basically centers his argument around the use of time indicators in not just Revelation 11, but other parts of the text. Time indicators like things like 1,260 days, 42 months. And I'm just going to read this whole kind of interaction of Again, that his he quotes his detractor, and then he sort of answers it. it says, Whitcomb comments, there seems to be an intentional distinction between the time of the Gentile occupation of the temple's outer court and the city and the time of the two witnesses by means of the different time units used. Forty-two months for Gentile domination and one thousand two hundred and sixty days for the two witnesses. So his detract, detractor is trying to say, well, maybe forty-two months uh, refers to like one half, and one thousand two hundred and sixty days refers to another half. Maybe that's why it just doesn't say one thousand two hundred and sixty days both times, or three. You know, just doesn't use the same uh, um, types of time reference. And he answers that by saying the Bible does not distinguish by means of names the time period of three and a half years in the tribulation. If Whitcomb's interpretive principle were applied to Revelation 11 through 12, it would lead to the obvious misunderstanding of an obvious misunderstanding of the text: the woman Israel will be protected by God from the dragon for one thousand two hundred sixty days, in verse twelve six. This is exactly the same phrase in eleven three regarding the time of the two witnesses. The woman will be nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent, in twelve fourteen. And the serpent dragon is given authority to act for forty two months, in thirteen five. All these phrases referring to to Are these phrases referring to three different time periods? No, because there's no intentional distinction between the phrases. They are used interchangeably. Actually, four phrases are used in the scripture for the same time period, a time, time, and a half time, Daniel 9, 7, 25, 12, 7, Revelation twelve fourteen. a half a week, Daniel 9, 27, 42 months, Revelation 11, 2, and 13, 5, and 1,260 days, in Revelation 11, 13, 11, 3, and 12, 6. These terms should be understood as synonymous, all referring to the same time period, namely the second half of the tribulation. So I, of course, agree with that, and it kind of got me thinking, what was I even thinking in the first place? thinking that this, one thousand, because in Revelation uh, 11, about the two witnesses, it mentions 42 months and uh, 1,260 days. And that would, if, in every other place in Revelation, like Revelation 13, Revelation 12, specifically, and of course Daniel, well, specifically in Revelation, let's say, Revelation 11, 13, uh, 12, all, when they refer to the three and a half year period, they're doing so... and everybody knows it's about the last half. Nobody questions that of, let's say there's seven of these references, that the other six are referring to the last half of the 70th week of Daniel when they're talking about three and a half years. Everybody understands that. So if these two witnesses were prophesying in the first half, the first 1260 days, it would constitute the only time that I know of that not only that, that time period is a reference to the first three and a half years, but it would also constitute the only mention in the Bible other than Daniel 9.27 where anything specific about the first three and a half years is ever mentioned. Now, while that's not impossible of a thing to happen, I can't, uh, it doesn't It doesn't ring true f- for sure that all of a sudden out of nowhere, uh, the 1260 days refers to the first three and a half years, only other time in the Bible that it's specifically called out as important in any way other than the fact that Daniel 9.27 says he starts a covenant at the beginning of the week. We're not really told any specifics. We can infer some things that happen in that first three and a half years. But as far as the Bible's focus, it's 100% focused on that midpoint and afterwards. So his, again, in this paper, his main, his main thing is that it is a, a thing that happens uh, at, the, at the end because it's consistent with all the other mentions of this time period. And I think it's a good. I think it's a good argument. Again, I probably should have uh, led with that. So um, let me just kind of go over real quick the what that timeline looks like or would look like. So the two witnesses would start at the midpoint here. This would be the Antichrist declares himself to be God. He probably resurrects from the dead somewhere around here, or uh, apparently resurrects from the dead, and then he goes through. Uh, They they begin prophesying really at the Great Tribulation. So the killing starts, It really the whole world is now turned 100% against Christianity and to the point of killing them to a great extent. And in this moment of great killing of Christianity shows two guys who can't be killed right in the midst of everything telling them that they're doing wrong. And up until the point when the Day of the Lord happens, and presumably, and again, I'm sort of inferring this, they join in on the plagues and the turning the water into blood and everything that happens after the Day of the Lord actually starts. They then are killed once the sort of protection that they have for the 1260 days is removed. They are killed at the very end when Israel is uh, uh, reconciled, because that's what actually happens at the end of the 70th week, is Israel is... uh, uh, um, uh, reconciled. That certainly happens at the very moment that the seven-year period ends. And then, three and a half days later, they are resurrected from the dead uh, after everybody you know, gave gifts and thought that they were dead. They do uh, uh, arise from the dead. <clears throat> Earthquake happens. It really shakes some people to their core. They change their mind, give glory to God, perhaps. I don't know exactly what the giving glory to God is all about. But then you have, what, 26 and a half days later, uh armageddon happens as satan's last uh ditch effort to gather nations to uh, battle against uh, christ and then of course you have the 45 day period in which they're mostly consolidation of that I, again i recommend uh this 75 day period salvation remnant uh final wrath of god the beam of this is the 30 day and 45 days what Albert sharpie has in terms of the timeline events um All right, I think that's going to do it, and I will hopefully see you next time. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.